welcome to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host, Katrina Van Eyck. In this episode, I interview an industry professional who has forged his own path through swimming, from a junior swimmer to competing at the World Transplant Games, and now inspiring regional swimming by coaching and organising clinics with high-performance athletes. So please extend a big welcome to the podcast for Stephen Howe. Stephen showed his swimming skills early, shining as a talented school swimmer until he was diagnosed with kidney failure and moved on to dialysis to survive. After receiving a transplant, Stephen came back to swimming with a blast and competed in the World Transplant Games, among other transplant events. After noticing a lack of local swimming, Stephen developed a passion to build swimming in Bathurst and across regional New South Wales. Starting his own business, Swim Better HQ, Stephen continues to make an impact regionally by hosting clinics and online events with high-performance athletes to inspire New South Wales regional swimmers and coaches. Stephen wants to encourage change in the industry where promoting swimming is shared by all and supported by the governing bodies and regional swimming across Australia receives as many opportunities as their metro counterparts. His dream is to develop a regional hub in New South Wales which produces a number of Olympic swimmers and expanding his clinics to regional areas throughout Australia. Through today's episode, Stephen shares some insights into his work as well as his thoughts on swimming and where he sees swimming moving to in the future. Please share the hidden gems you find in Stephen's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you will find his contact details listed at the end of the show notes. If you want to share your aquatic story, please contact me via my email, regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. I'd love to be able to share your story with our industry worldwide. And check out our website, aquaticmentors.com.au, for our Season 1 ebook, concentrating on the tips and tricks that were offered during our Season 1 episodes. So let's jump in and find out more about Stephen's journey in swimming. Now, Stephen, how did you start your journey in swimming? I actually started as a kid. My first foray into swimming, I couldn't even swim across the pool, and this is about seven or eight. So I stopped for a couple of years. You know, I had the usual kid thing, huge big dummy spit. Didn't want to be part of it. Didn't want to know about it. Didn't want to go to the pool. Then mum and dad put a pool, like one of those really old round style above ground pools in the backyard. So I got into that, and then eventually, uh, I think I was about year six, I started swimming again, just through training with a local lady here called Cheryl Manning. Yeah, went into swimming club after that. So probably swam until I was about 18. Wow, what a turnaround to not want to do it and throw a dummy spit and then yeah. <laughs> turn around and come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, still through the odd dummy spit here and then, but that's, that's me. <laughs> I sort of get a bit fiery from time to time. But, yeah, so went back into it when I was in year six. I swam all the way through high school, all the way right up. I was diagnosed with kidney failure, end-stage renal failure early in year 12, uh, the HSC year. So. Wow. And how did that impact your swimming and also your life as well? I was blissfully unaware that I had a pre-existing condition. I just had bad kidneys, basically. I was in year 12. I wanted to do a bit more serious at swimming, but I just couldn't 
put on the weight to help bulk up to a bit from hundred free and all sort of stuff. So I started taking a weight supplement. Unfortunately, being ignorant about this sort of stuff, it actually said on the bottom, do not have if you have chronic renal issues or problems. So it pretty much wiped out my kidneys and, and caused me to go into end-stage renal failure. From then on, I was on dialysis for about three or four years. And it was really weird because I had a tube coming out of my stomach all the time for dialysis. I could still swim. I'd have to get plastic wrap and take a derm type really plastic covering to put on all the time and, and change that. And it was just a hassle. So I actually got into coaching a little bit. I, I helped out a coach where I used to train at for a couple of months now and then. So it sort of put a bit of a dent in the system. So I wasn't very good at school. I, I didn't really want to be there. I was like, I went to a boys' school that had a 50 meter outdoor pool. So I was like, got three weeks of the year. And then because I didn't play rugby, no one else wanted to know me. So that was okay. I just sort of kept the low profile. Yeah, I can imagine just the toll it would have taken and to have to deal with that as well as, I suppose, the medical issues and being on dialysis. Dialysis can take so much out of you and it takes so long to um, be sitting on the system. Then to be able to, I suppose, live a normal life and not be able to do what you liked in regards to swimming and getting into the pool. But, you know, luckily finding that position where you could take over a bit of coaching and still enjoy what you do there. Yeah, that was really good. I learned a lot when I was doing that. I'm the type of person that if you put an obstacle in front of me, I'm going to get over it, under it, around it, through it, whichever I have to do. Don't care the ramifications of getting around the obstacle. My, my main objective is to get around that obstacle. So that in mind, I, I kept water skiing. I kept swimming. I actually started playing soccer. I did all these other things that I just, I was determined not to let it stop me. And, and that sort of built up very much a stubborn side to me and a very resilient side to me as well. I'm extremely persistent, um, which probably a lot of people, I find that grates on them because I just, I'm a dog with a bone. I just keep going and going and going and going and I just don't stop. If, if there's something I'm passionate about, something I believe in. And I'm at the age now where I just, I'm going to call it how I see it basically. And, you know, if people don't like that, that's okay. There's another couple of billion people on the earth that I'll be friends with. I like that. And I think that's, yeah, like you said, the resilience you've built up because of it. You're calling it like it is, is not a bad thing. And to be able to point that stuff out, I think, uh, to be able to take the objective view to it and to be able to look at it in regards, you know, the things you want to do make a industry and an area better. That's to me is, you know, the number one reason why we become stubborn. We want to do it because we want to make things better. So um, in that regards, if, yeah, someone doesn't like it, then they can get out. <laughs> yeah, basically you get out of my way, you know, just that's fine. If you don't agree with my opinion, that's okay. Everyone has different opinions. I don't get upset about it. If, if someone says to me, no, what you're doing is wrong, I will actually say, hang on, okay, well, explain to me why is it wrong. And admittedly, I will argue the points backwards and forwards. But if I can be convinced that, yeah, you're not going the right way about this, then I'll go, mm, okay, so how do I go about it? And I'll ask that person what they think and, you know, what they do in my position and, and all that sort of things. But it's okay to have your own opinion, but you've got to be able to listen to other people's opinion as well. You can't just be bullheaded and ignore everyone else in most scenarios. You do need feedback from time to time and, you know, everyone needs a kick in the ass now and then. So, yeah. 
<laughs> Never. Happy to, I'm happy to get my kick in the ass whenever it's required, basically. <laughs> I like that. Good point. Very good point. So how did your coaching then develop from that? Yeah, so I actually, I kept swimming. I actually didn't do much coaching for a while. I got a transplant, got back in the pool, you know, represented Australian in Japan for Australian World Transplant Games, been to a couple of national transplant games, and uh, I more or less put coaching on the back shelf. Then in my area, I'm, I'm looking around one day thinking, why aren't I seeing a whole lot of swimming in our local newspaper? What's why aren't I seeing, you know, mentions of kids going to state and to country and to all these sorts of things? And so I, I called up the Swimming New South Wales rep in area at the time and said, hey, look, what's going on here? Why? And there was all these, all these differing opinions on what should happen and all this sort of stuff. So I thought, well, bugger this, I'm getting into it. So I got my learn to swim and did learn to swim for about six, eight months at the local aquatic centre. Then spoke and said, hey, look, why don't we start up a adult squad? Because currently the local club had another person doing their their club coaching and that was fine. For about 18 months, two years, I did uh, adult squad. And then uh, this other gentleman decided to pull the pin on his squad. So the local pool took over the coaching for the local club. I went from there. Wow. So you're throwing into the deep end again and and took over and look what you've been able to do with them. It's amazing. Yeah. So I actually left the Bathurst squad about two years ago. And they've just gone from strength to strength. Like the the coach that was my assistant coach doing a very, very good job with them. I can't can't complain about what he's doing. You know, it's really good to see that they've gone from the odd kid once every 12 months marking it to country or state to consistently having 20, 25 kids going to state and country nearly all the time. I think yeah. the lowest they ever had was about three or four in the past five or six years. So it's really the club is now in a really good position, which is great. So that's fantastic. And to be able to build it up from that and sort of taking over the role and getting them, sorry, to a really consistent level, that's fantastic to be able to put that input in and getting those results. Yeah, it's it's a long road to hope and you you do get a lot of opposition. You do get a lot of parents say, oh, but we don't want that and, oh, but that's not going to work here. But you've just got to be persistent. You know, you've just got to, okay, take their criticisms on board and go, right, oh, well, is that valid or not? Or, you know, are they just speaking about their child? The thing to remember is it's, swimming is very much a team sport and, and a lot of parents don't see it that way. They only see their kid, their results. They don't actually see the club's environment, the, the club's culture, the club results, and, and that's more or less the club results are in the culture of the club. So yeah. If you have a club that's got good results, usually you'll have, you know, a good culture behind it. It's amazing, I suppose. It is seemed to be such an individual sport, but you know, you are a coach of however many swimmers. It is a club sport. You've got to be able to deal with all those swimmers and all those parents and all the parts that come into running a swimming club. So it is definitely a team sport. It's just that individual focus when it comes on to the racing. Yeah, basically. And the proof's in the pudding. Like, look at our own Olympic team this year. They've done from an outsider's perspective, like I am not part of the team, so I can't really know what's going on inside. But I think since Rowan's taken over, there's more development camps with them. They spend more time together. Now, this could be just because of COVID, but I think that team bond and team community that they made within themselves made a massive difference. Don Talbot was very big on that. So 
I think, yeah, having that team mentality towards the swimming for the Olympics, I think that really helped us a lot uh, in, a, in a, such a huge way. Like, like previous years, there hasn't been that cohesiveness within the team. They didn't seem to be having the same camaraderie as what they have now. They just seem to all be there for each other. And it harks back to 20 years ago when, you know, we had the Sydney Olympics and we had all our big names like Klimi, Hackett, Libby Trickett, Liesl Jones, all those types of swimmers when we were all aiming for the one goal and the one purpose and the whole team was was doing that. It was more a team effort to, to do well at the Olympics. And I think in Tokyo, it was a team effort to do well at Tokyo. And a, and a lot of parents hopefully saw that behind the scenes every now and then. You'd see glimpses of it here and there, especially on Instagram and Facebook. Some of the stuff that the swimmers put out on, on Instagram show how much they were working as a team and how much they actually, you know, supported each other and helped each other out. So. Yeah, it was amazing to, for them to come together like they did. And, yeah, I think COVID did have a, a role to play in it, but I think it's also the background that Rowan gives to it. And he mentioned on his interview for Swimming Victoria that Don Talbot was a big influence for him. So taking those, I suppose, ideas of past co- uh, coaches and putting them in with what he mixes in together, he is a great guy and I think it made a big difference for the team to be able to have him on board. Yeah, I, I think that was a good choice from Australia appointing him um, after Yucko left. I think his experience and, yeah, like you said, his philosophy, which isn't far removed from Don Talbot's, he's probably not as fiery as Don used to be from the stories I've heard, but he's doing an amazing job. I think it's, it's, it's what Australia's needed. For a while there, I was starting to think if you wanted to be a head coach of anything in Australia, you had to go overseas and spend time overseas first before you'd actually be given a position back here. Even though Rowan is, I think, from America or Canada, he's been here so long anyway. I think it's great that he's he's got the role. So, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, and that's it. I think he's had the experience. He's been born here and then going over to America and working and swimming in the college system over there. He's had that experience and then coming back and working what he – and he's worked up from the bottom up in Australia. So he's actually put that time and effort in, but he's always – been successful in what he's done so and like you said the philosophies he talked about you know even the roles he had playing working with Lee Nugent it's just amazing to see what he was able to then put forward and I'm really looking forward to what builds up for the Gold Coast Olympics. Yeah yeah hopefully he'll still be around then I'd like to think he will you know I think like Australia has such a wonderful history of coaches like you know from Bill Sweetenham Don Talbot, Rowan, obviously, Simon Cusack, Shannon Rowlandson, um, Ron McKeon. There's so many great coaches in this country. It's just fantastic that spread of, of really high-performance coaches that know what they're doing. They know how to get our athletes to the highest levels of the sport, which is just fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. Yep, and it's good to have that knowledge on there. We're just going to be able to use it. Exactly, and yeah, and this is probably the part where I sort of arc up a little bit, that knowledge doesn't really get transferred out into regional areas very much. We don't seem to have that support regionally or that could be going for Metro as well. I'm not a metropolitan coach, so I don't know, but regionally we only have water for, you know, best part 60% of the year. I'm lucky. I live in a town where we've got an indoor 25 meter pool and so does Orange, so does Lithgow and so does Dubbo. 
but there are towns around us that don't have access to water for 60% of the year. So they have to learn, learn fast. And the resources just aren't the best, unfortunately, to be, to be polite and nice about it. It was great. I thought ASCA did a wonderful thing having their, their web, webinars during lockdown last year. I thought that was absolutely awesome. I think that it should be an ongoing thing every Sunday night or every second Sunday night. People are not doing much. They're sitting at home, getting ready for the next day of work. All the sport's over. They should do like an hour thing on there as well on the web for coaches, coaches to go and do. I'm actually president of Mountains and Plains Swimming Association in New South Wales. And we're starting that ourselves. Like we're, we've approached coaches from outside our area to speak about, you know, swimmer development. We're looking at our own technical committee to come up with web sessions for our coaches to actually sit down and know how to put in a formal protest, educate the, the coaches that are only parent coaches. A lot of our coaches aren't even official coaches. They're just, you know, in a small town like come knock. Anyway, we've got a whole lot of these small little towns that have got the old 33-metre pools or the 25-metre pool and the parents are just, you know, trying to help out to try and get the kids along. And the support for them is really, really, really not that great. I think Chris Myers is a very nice guy and I think all the guys in swimming are really nice people and have the best values at heart. Chris Myers in particular for Swimming South Wales, he's like 18 months booked out in advance to go and visit people um, and that's his job to go and see all these regional coaches but i think more needs to be done especially with brisbane coming up you know we just technology and the tyranny of distance no longer exists the problem with the asker conferences i was in the middle of the day so most other most other coaches that work out around this area and probably in, in your region as well have a full-time job as well so they just can't access these things and ask and say oh yeah but you can look at them online later it's not the same you don't get the opportunity to ask the questions and it doesn't have the same vibe to it. After I've tried watching webinars after the fact, and you know, you get distracted. You go, off, "Oh, yeah, I can come back and watch it later." Whereas if it's live, you actually really sit there and pay attention. So I think ASCA needs to step up and do that more, which would be great. I think every state needs to work on their on their coaching development. The advanced coaching degree, which I'm trying to go through at the minute, is extremely difficult to do. You've got to find a mentor coach. Um, who apparently can't be the same level as what you are. So to find another advanced coach in our area is quite difficult, you know, especially someone who's got the experience to mentor. I think there's a big difference between actually having a piece of paper and actually doing the work. Mm. So, you know, I'm starting to rant, but anyway, it's there is a lot of missed opportunity, let me put it that way. Yeah, and I, I like your point of having to learn fast in the regional areas. Where I am here as well, there is 33-metre pools everywhere. Same thing, we're only open from November to March. We don't get that time in the water and whatever you are doing, you have to you deal with the regression that always happens at the mm. start of the year. You get them to a certain point, they go out and do their big country mate and then that's it. And you're always fighting with councils. One thing I find in a regional area, you're fighting with councils to keep pool open or to get open earlier, you're then encouraging the families to get them into you know, swimming and keeping them there. And then you're also then fighting with the districts and to be included. And then you're fighting with swimming, whatever your state. 
so it is for me it's been feeling like the last couple years and I don't know if it's like for you just a constant fight to firstly be heard and then to achieve anything it's so hard and then like you said you've got to cram them with information to be able to learn and develop really quickly I mean I know the Kerrang Swimming Club that I'm president with we're open for 12 weeks yeah and that's like how, how do you run a seasonal program for 12 weeks you just can't do it you've got if you're open for 12 weeks you've probably got before competition starts you've probably got four weeks to get them fit now not all kids going to attend you know eight sessions a week they're probably probably going to do about three or four sessions a week at best in some of you competing as cricket and whatever other sports they want to do especially in country areas kids want to get out on motorbikes they want to be outside they don't always want to be at the pool training because, you know, the warm hours are limited. So mm. I think in, in that circumstance, Swim in New South Wales or Swim in Victoria could turn around and say, well, hey, look, here's how you actually start doing a dry land program for these kids a month before. That way you can get your kids involved earlier and sooner and get them fitter and stronger before the actual water sessions start. Even if you did two sessions a week, that would help strengthen the kids up before they actually got in the pool. You know, I think... Promotion-wise, we are missing the boat as well. I think we've got all these Olympians that have been sitting around in lockdown for the last two weeks and we've seen nothing from any swimming body in regards to promoting swimming. Like you've got these athletes that are like, I'm paying for athletes to do Zoom webinars and Zoom interviews with kids. You know, it's costing me a little bit of money to get this done but kids are loving it. Kids really love to be able to see and, and look at Meg Harris and a gold medal. I can only afford for half an hour, but the response and the motivation is great. Like classrooms, Swimming Australia should be getting classrooms after classrooms after classrooms lined up for these kids to have a Zoom chat with. I mean, we've got all of New South Wales now in lockdown. We've had Sydney in lockdown for the past eight weeks now, and we've seen nothing come out of anywhere as far as swimming goes. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like these guys, I get it. They're, they're Olympic athletes, but I really don't understand why we aren't using technology to help motivate and inspire these kids for the upcoming summer. Why can't we have somebody like Kate Campbell who can get on a Zoom webinar? She's in her own room. Why can't we have her doing Zoom past one a day to some sort of school in a regional area or a metropolitan area for that matter? 32 athletes or something on the team, one hour each just once that's 32 different interviews you could have for 32 different schools around Australia. Like if they do that's 64 and and the number just keeps going up. Like if every athlete did one interview per day with a school, you'd reach half the schools in every area. It'd be just, and, and the flow and effect from that and the inspiration and motivation these kids would get would be massive, especially with swim season around the, around the corner. Mm. It's just a no brainer for me. I just don't understand. I mean, I, look, if someone wants to ring me up and say, hey, Steve, pull your head in, this is why, fantastic. Please give me a call. Happy to talk to you about it. No problem at all. I'm not going to sit back anymore and go, hey, oh, you know, we should have done that. We should actively be looking to try and help motivate and inspire these kids. Everyone says, oh, I'm going to go to Brisbane. Well, that starts now. It's already started. As soon as the torch got lit, as soon as Ariane won her first race, the clock's ticking now and we need to do something about it. We've got so many other sports competing with, especially in winter. AFL is on the march in a big way. They're recruiting kids left, right and centre. And Nicole Stevenson is doing a wonderful job with the women's AFL. 
but swimming Australia, we're, we're just dragging the ball. We're just miles behind. We need to do more for coaching development. We need to do more for rural areas. I had a swim clinic with Taylor McEwen. She came down to Orange a couple of weeks ago. We had over 100 kids enrolled in 24 hours. Wow. So, you know, we had two sessions on a Saturday, juniors and seniors, two sessions on Sunday. I was being very, very conservative, making sure that it was available to everyone. It wasn't like other swim clinics where it's $100 plus. I'm not doing this to make big money. I'm doing it to build swimming in our areas. And, you know, it was only $45 for juniors and $85 for seniors. And that's very, very achievable for a family to actually do. We had people come from West Wylong. You know, wow. we had people mudgy. If we had the Blue Mountains were open, we would have had people coming from Lapstone and Penrith. Because you just don't see this. It's not happening. It's just really not. Like you've got all these other athletes that, you know, need to make money and, and want to make money. But not only that, they want to help. They want to inspire all these other junior athletes. But no one's providing that service. And that's what we're doing now. I'm getting emails from Wagga saying, yes, please come down in summer. We want you out here. I'm getting emails from parents at Dubbo. Hey, when's the next clinic going to be on out our way? I've made inquiries in the Newcastle. They're keen to have it as well. You know, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Like, this is the thing. We have all these athletes. It's just so frustrating. And not to be critical of the Campbell sisters, but they're in Sydney for how long? And Sydney's three hours away from Orange. Okay, yeah, I get it. They're Olympic athletes. They've got a job to do, and that's to train. And I understand that when they go on a holiday or a weekend away, then they want to get away from the sport. But how hard is it to stop in for 20 minutes and just surprise a club on a Saturday morning training session when they drive out to Orange anyway? And they go down to Threadbow. How hard is it to go, oh, hang on, we'll just swing in here for 10 minutes. The kids would go nuts. They'd love it. Can you imagine a high-performance athlete like Kate Campbell or Bronte Campbell just dropping in at random to a swim school or to a, a swim center during training and just saying, hi guys, how are you going? How are you training? It'll, kids would be blown away. Mm. It's not that hard to give back to the sport. It's really not. But it's not like when they come out, they can't train. I mean, if, especially if they're going to an indoor facility, they can get in and do their training in the morning. What yep. kid isn't going to sit there and watch an Olympic swimmer train? They're going to learn from that. The coach doesn't have to come. They are old enough and responsible enough to know what training they have to do. Yeah, get in, get the kids training with you or just say, okay, now at 6am I've got to do my training. My clinic starts at 9 or whatever. Like it's not going to interfere with their schedule. They can still do what they do there and come out and do a two-day clinic. The thing you've got to understand is if I'm going to try and do this, I need to keep the coaches happy as well. Yeah. So, yes, by all means, like me being a, a, you know, a development level coach, I don't have the knowledge of them. But if they send me the program, I can still read and understand the program. So, right, okay, here's our athlete. Here's our program. Right, athlete, you've got to do X amount. Let's go. I can use a stopwatch like anybody else. You know, they can bring their program with them. I've even said that to a couple of athletes that, hey, look, if you need water for training on a Saturday morning, we can provide that. We will hire a lane exclusively for you to use for however long you need to train in. We'll pay for your gym membership for whatever gym you need to join up or sign to. And don't get me wrong, we treat our athletes that we we get, we treat them very, very, very well. It's all paid for. We pay for everything for them. We try and pick the best accommodation in the town and get them the best room possible. We get them flights that are nowhere near COVID if COVID is an issue. We'll fly them around COVID. So we basically won't go through Sydney. We'll fly direct. You know, we do all this extra stuff to make sure that 
we look after these athletes because they work hard. They deserve the perks of being looked after at a clinic. So, you know, we, we make sure that they get absolutely everything they need in order to actually perform. We, we pay for all their meals, everything. Nothing is without being compensated for. So, and as well as that, they get paid a fee on top. So, you know what? I would love for Swimming Australia to do me out of a job, basically. And there's a challenge. Do me out of a job. Organise this yourself. Do it yourselves. You really, they can do it a lot better and a lot cheaper than what I can. Mm. Um, so, look, go for it. You know, you've, you've got 32 athletes for the next 12 months. We'll still be training, and yes, I get that. But let's get them happening. You've got better contacts, better relationships. Let's get it going. Let's get these athletes into regional Australia and in metropolitan area, and let's inspire these future gold medalists and Olympians that are supposed to be going to Brisbane. Let's not wait until it's about 12 months out or, or mm. 24 months out where you know we're near an Olympic cycle anymore and these kids are going, oh, oh, that's right. It's the Olympics in two years. Oh, I want to go. Too late. Sorry. <laughs> Unless you're Cody Simpson and Brett Hawke, good luck. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, there's such an opportunity for ex-swimmers as well. I mean, we see ads with Michael Klim and, you know, I know he runs his own swim school, but Ian yep. Thorpe's now in the commentating, you know, Susie, all that sort of stuff. Why are we not using their reputation and their achievements to be able to inspire regional swimmers as well? And you know, like you said, technology is there to be able to connect. It's stuff that we need to yeah. do. To build swimming, otherwise, it you know when it comes to Queensland Gold Coast in twenty thirty two, there'll be nothing there. Like you said, they'll suddenly appear and go, "Oh wow!" Yep. As a coach and as a, a swim teacher and a parent, I've gone out to the local kids around and spoken to them and said, "Look, you're at the prime age to swim at the Olympics," and it's putting the thought in their head. Now, a lot of the parents here look at it and go, "Oh well, we're in the country. We're three hours from Melbourne." Yeah, we'll have to move to Melbourne or move somewhere else if our kids show a bit of promise. Mm. And at this point, they don't want to do that because, you know, what's the incentive? If you're three hours from Melbourne, then why can't a head coach from Melbourne come out and visit once every couple of months and help you write or help that coach write the program and develop the cycle and do the work and, you know, help in the background with developing that athlete? Why does it always have to be simply the coach that's that's got the athlete alone like while we have these governing bodies of of swimming victoria swimming south australia western australia northern territory queensland new south wales a whole lot of them that's why they're supposed to be there to help back up and support our coaching staff so if you've got an athlete in a regional area that is showing promise instead of sending them to a hub bring the hub to them you know get the coach from that hub to go okay we've got an athlete that's qualified for australian A championships what can I do to help that coach and that athlete? Okay. Can I meet them halfway somewhere for an afternoon? I'm not very good with geography in Victoria, but if you're somewhere around Seymour or somewhere around Bendigo, surely there's somewhere in between you can find a pool somewhere and go, okay, let's meet there for the afternoon. I'll show you X, Y, Z. And then, you know, after that, let's go through your development plan. Let's go through your programs. Let's see what can we do for this help to happen. Like we're paying all these coaches a lot of money and once again, please ring me up and tell me I'm wrong, but we're not getting a whole lot out of them in return. Yeah. Even if you don't want to drive there, jump on a Zoom call with them, jump on a Facebook video call with them, jump on an Instagram video call with them. Someone's got some way of technology 
to communicate better. Get them to send, okay, send me your program. I'll have a look at it. Jump on a Facebook chat with them via video and go, okay, well, you need to do X, Y, Z here and you did blah, blah, blah here. I mean, the tyranny of distance is a BS excuse now. Mm. It just is. Yeah, very, very true. Yeah. So out of all that that we've discussed, and there's a lot there and mm. there's still more to oh, come. Oh, it's a lot time package, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's been the biggest lesson you've learned out of your career in swimming? Persistence. Yep, definitely. Don't take no for an answer. Ask for the reason why behind the answer and push the envelope. Don't be afraid to ruffle feathers, which no doubt this will probably do when the right people hear it. I will probably have a name of mud. But look, someone's got to shake the cage. I think within a lot of institutions, there is a boys club, and I'm not saying that of any swimming institution, but in a lot of institutions, there's a boys club. And that needs to be gone. The day of boys clubs and the day of insiders and the day of only being selective of who you help is over. If we're going to host the Olympics in our own backyard, right, Queensland are the one that are going to want to lead the way. Mm. And are we going to sit back and let them take all the glory from it, from the other states, or are we actually going to step up and go, no, you know what? You can train in Sydney. You can train in Melbourne. You can train in Bathurst. You can train in Shepparton. You can train in Bendigo. It doesn't matter where you train. You don't need to go to a high-performance hub, uproot your life and change. Not everyone's going to do an Ariane Titmus and move from Tasmania up to Queensland. It's just not going to happen. Not all families are going to be able to do that. You know, I don't even know how they did it with the, with the prices of accommodation in Queensland. It's just phenomenal. Like, so we need to go about a different way of doing things. We need to harness the power of technology and have more communication from these high-performance coaches. Like, yes, I get it. They've got their own programs. I understand that. No worries at all. But a one-hour video twice a week, like if, you, if you can't find two hours in a week to talk to another coach, there's something wrong. Rowan Taylor even said it in his video that they did the other day for Swing Australia. He said, coaches, you need to work together. He suggested that a coach from one area hook up with a coach from another area and two squads train together on a Saturday morning every now and then. Yeah. Brilliant. Great. Fantastic. Let's, let's do that. You know, why can't we do that? Why can't we say, okay, we're going to hold a just one day, three-hour training session. For example, picking on anyone here in particular, but let's say, okay, we're going to hold it at Young. Right, our Young's got 50-metre outdoor pool. Great, let's have it at Young. So that means you can get all the people from around Bathurst, Orange, Cowra, Parks, Forbes, Grenfell, um, Cootamundra, Wagga. All right, we've got 100 kids here. We've booked out the pool for the afternoon, six lanes, 100 kids, or even go 60 kids, 10 kids per lane. Shannon Rollinson, would you mind coming over and leading the coaching session for them? Or Chris Myers, we'd love it if you could come out here. We'll pay for expenses. Or David Shaw, can you come out here and do this? Or, you know, Graham Carroll, can you come out? Or, you know, Steve Crydoff, can you come out? Or, you know, Adam Cable, can you come out? All this sort of stuff. Like, it's not that hard anymore. Like, Adam Cable and, and the Sydney's team, they're, they're doing a great job with their athletes, really starting to move up the ranks. But they're two hours from Bathurst. So, or two and a bit hours from Bathurst. So why, why can't they come out here for an afternoon? Like mm-hmm. Simon Cusack was in Sydney and I, I rang up Kate's manager and said, hey, how much is it going to cost to get Kate and Rondi out here? And they said, oh, well, they can't do it because of X, Y, Z commitment. It's too close to the Olympics. This was 18 months ago. Yeah. 
And I said, right, what about Simon Cusack? And I never heard anything back. You know, I'm, I'm willing to pay these people good money. Like we're talking upwards of $3,000 for 24 hours work, plus flights, plus accommodation, plus meals, plus everything else. I'm trying to pay them very good money to come out and do this sort of stuff. So look, if you're a coach that wants to do this, great. If you're an athlete that wants to do this, great. Let me know and I'll work with you to see what we can do. We've just got to get stuff done. We've just, we've got to make it happen. And that's where that persistent comes in. And yeah, yeah, you just, you got to keep trying, but it's the same for swimmers. I mean, we expect our swimmers to be persistent in the water and get in every day and train and have that determination. And it's something we try and teach the swimmers. So, you know, we've got to be able to teach that for our coaches and and pass that on as well. Yeah, we, we have to be role models of, of how things have to be done or, or how we have to be as a swimmer. And, yeah, you're right. As a swimmer, you've got to be persistent. You've got to be determined. Otherwise, that's the difference between you coming first at nationals and you coming last at nationals or not even making swimming nationals at all. A prime example is there's a reason why the ISL exists. Mm-hmm. If FINA was doing a good job to start with, the ISL wouldn't be around. And now we've got the ISL in Australia. So is it because ISL is such a wonderful product? Well, it's a simple product. Is there any reason why swimming couldn't be doing that? Swimming Australia couldn't be doing that themselves? Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, that's it. Opportunities are there. We used to have the skins on whenever it was. 15 years ago, we'd have all the jewel in the pool where the US would come over. I think that was in Western Australia, actually. That was wonderful. It was great. The T ratings, you know, awesome. But, you know, why can't we have Swimming Australia turn around? You know what? We're going to have a high-performance sprint meet in Bendigo or in Armidale, and we're going to get local sponsors from the town and from National to sponsor this event, and it's just going to be a 50s sprint carnival. So four 50s, best in Australia, rock up to, rock up to Armidale, and prize money is totaling $20,000. Mm-hmm. So why not pay first, second, and that's it. It's it's going to cost you probably $30,000 to get off the ground. But how much has that put into the local economy and how much has that inspired and boosted kids in that area? You'll have kids driving from everywhere to go and watch. Mm. It's these sorts of ideas that we have to start thinking about. Yeah. It's, it's this sort of forward thinking that we need to be able to do. And I think also, you know, in that regards, if you're doing it with the local economy and things like that, we need to build tourism in areas because tourism's had a massive outcry since COVID. Yep. You know, there's always council grants going for major events in the area and they will yep. give funding. You know, maybe it's up to governing bodies to run things on, okay, how can you plan a clinic in your area? How yeah. can you write a good grant application? Yeah, they want us to do it ourselves. Well, teach us how. Yep. Look, they've had the program called Beyond the Black Line for quite some time. Ever heard of it? Yes. Yep. So I didn't hear of it, but I am yet to hear of any promotion of somebody actually going to a clinic and doing it. Like, again, ring me up, tell me I'm wrong, but when was the last time you heard of a Beyond the Black Line program happening? The only reason I heard about it is because I went to one of the Swimming Victoria conferences, Astavic conferences, and they were talking about it then in Melbourne, but I'd never heard. They said they'd had people do it and that's how they run them but never seen one, I've heard of one actually being run. No, I've never seen or heard of one actually being run either. Okay, if that's the program, great. Publicise it, put it out there. Get Olympic athletes to speak about it. 
record video of Olympic athletes at these events or record something of some athlete at these events and promote it through the right channels so that we hear about this sort of stuff. James Magnuson came out to the Central West four or five times and did it off his own bat. David McKeon came out to Bathurst and did a clinic out in Bathurst. But these are all clinics that have been organised and run by clubs. So therefore, it's just for that club. I am not doing this for exclusive clubs only. This is open slather from anybody. Like this can be a kid on the street, provided they can swim 100 metres. Great, come to the clinic. You'll learn something. We had kids lined up for half an hour and Taylor was signing everything, shirts, swimmers, bags, envelopes, papers, whatever whatever the kids could get their hands on, she'd sign, you know, and it was great. You know, parents were so wrapped about what's happening. Even now, tonight we've got a um, we've got a swim session on, a grinding session on the Shana Jack from Queensland. Again, paid for by myself. Okay, yes, I, I was thinking, yes, I'm charging kids, but I'm charging kids just enough to cover the expense. I'm not making any profit out of it. Yeah. You know, why, if we've got 32 athletes in lockdown, who they all have their own room and a balcony that they're openly exercising on through Instagram and Facebook and everything like that. Why am I doing this? Yeah. yeah. Like the opportunity's there. And then all these athletes are going to go away for two weeks and probably going, the ones in New South Wales are going to lockdown for two weeks. And why can't we motivate and inspire the kids in our, in our metropolitan areas and regional areas that are all in lockdown over the next two weeks? So, hey, look, Kate Campbell's doing a dry land session. It's going to cost you five bucks. Mm. Yeah, and the trouble is, like swimming Australia and your state swimming, they have the marketing. They yeah, have they do. Reach that yeah, they do. You know, someone like you and I don't have. We're trying to fight that. You're having to pay to have people come on to the session, but then you also you know having to market and things like that. That starts coming out of your own pocket. Yep, I'm lucky that I'm in a financial position where I can actually do this. A yep. lot of it's just unfortunate that the governing bodies aren't doing this themselves. Like, I don't understand why they're not. Oh, well, my thoughts, yeah, it's become such an exclusive and closed area with swimming and you have to go to the bigger and better coach to make your potential and get out there. And there's a number of things I've brought up with a lot of my mentors from the last Olympics looking at it and going, okay, I can't see, I think it was like two Victorians on the team and the same, yeah, a few more New South Wales. Uh, I know there was Kyle Chalmers from South Australia. And then it was all predominant had, in Queensland. Yeah, you had, well, you had Brianna Throssell from Western Australia. Yep. You had Maddie and Kyle from South Australia. You had Mac from Victoria with, I can't remember who else. But, yeah, you're right, 90% of the team is made up of Queensland. And that's because everyone says, oh, well, look, you know, Queensland's the place to be. It's got the best coaches. Uh, it's got the best weather. It's got this, that, the other. I mean, last time I checked, Sydney's got how many indoor pools? So why is weather an issue? Yeah, that's right. Mel- yeah. Melbourne has how many indoor pools? Why is weather an issue? Canberra, same deal. Why is weather an issue? It's not because they've got the environment and they've got the pools. It's because they're doing something right. Mm. From what I can see, because they're developing their own coaches, because they're putting the time and effort into actually look into things and actually do them better than every other state. And that's, that's why they've got the success that they've got. Okay, yeah, sure, they've got private schools. Okay, great. Sydney's got big private schools. Canberra's got big private schools. Melbourne's got big private schools. So does South Australia. Like, there's nothing geographically better about Queensland other than being warmer. But when you, you know, turn it into an indoor pool, geography and weather goes away. Mm. I've spoken to other coaches who have actually worked in Queensland and said, oh, well, yeah, the head of 
coaching for Queensland actually came and saw me and sat down with me for an afternoon. And we went through my programs and went through the sort of stuff and really helped me out to try and get me to get the most out of these kids. I moved back to New South Wales and I haven't seen anybody. Mm. Well, there you go. Yeah. We're just, we're not doing it right. We're just, and I know it pains a lot of people and I'm going to probably be cast out and be a leper for all this stuff. But like I said, I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to be resilient and I'm going to shake the cage because it needs to be done. It just, the time's over. We're not in the year 2000 now where we've got all these athletes in Sydney anymore. Thorpey's gone. Klimmy's gone. You know, we don't have these people anymore. Tracy Menzies is now coach up in Queensland because Queensland are doing the right thing. They're, they've built the culture for the state, not just for a club. But also I think, in a way, like you're the one standing out and talking about it, but it's been something that has been going through all of regional Australia in regards to swimming for some time. Yeah, I've been in for seven years. Every regional coach I speak to has the same issue. So, mm. you know, it's been building and building and building for so long. And I think it was coming to the forefront and COVID's just pushed it forward. Yep. I think so. I think this has been going on for, for a while. I've spoken to people and been promised the earth we'll come out on a friday night and we'll talk to all the parents for you and then we'll go out and have dinner and a couple of beers and you know then saturday we'll do this with you and that okay great when do you want to do that oh we'll get back to you yeah never seen them again yeah literally one person never spoken to me since i'm sorry but i'm going to call people out now yeah. I'm, I'm not going to sit back and go oh well oh sit down steve you know you're making too much noise you don't know what you're talking about sorry whether I know what I'm talking about or not, I don't care. I can see it from my perspective, and my perspective is that people are dropping the ball. Yeah. There's a whole lot of money going through the system, and it's just not going to the right places. So in regards, we were talking with Queensland doing it right and coming and talking to their coaches. Was there a mentor that worked in your life and that has helped you? push through yeah i've i've got lots i'm, I'm quite lucky i uh, had the swimming rep for our area was my mentor for a while he, he retired lovely guy got all the time in the world for him he did the best that he could under the circumstances that he had which i thought was really admirable you know like our area is to give you some geographical idea our area is from lapstone just at the blue mountains just outside sydney all the way out to lake kajelliga wow right that's a big chunk of earth. Yeah. Okay. Give you an idea. Uh, Lapstone is two hours from Bathurst. Okay. And Lake Cajelago is probably three and a half hours. Yeah. So that's nearly six hours wide. And, it's a bit and, like our district here. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just it's just way too big. But yes, I had the development officer for Swimming New South Wales, Paul Dobson. He was my first mentor. But then, you know, I started to get a bit well okay paul's given me all this information that's great you know that's that's wonderful he helped me get the squad started as well he did he did a lot of good stuff um he used to actually coach matthew wilson before he went to adam cable in sydney knew his staff was really really good at it unfortunately he was just at the point where he didn't want to do it anymore and he retired so i've sort of gone you know what with technology being the way it is why can't i ring up and speak to bill sweetener hmm. Why why can't I jump on Instagram and, and talk to Brett Hawke? And that's what I've started to do. Like years ago, I, I used to 
I'd probably call Bill Sweetenham once every two weeks and discuss with him about it. You know, what can I do to work on X, Y, Z and how can I do this and how can I do that? I was very lucky. He had a lot of time for me. He was a really nice guy. You know, he still mentors a lot of coaches, um, usually via email. I sometimes talk to Brett Hawke about different things of what, what I can do and what needs to be done and that sort of stuff. So I'm very lucky that these people talk to me. You know, I, I don't know why, <laughs> but they do. You know, I look at other coaches around my area. Jason Lewis is a friend of mine in Orange. He coaches the Orange Aquatic Club. I talk with him a little bit now and then. We've also got a coach in Orange, Kim Taylor. He used to be the coach of Mingara. I speak to him a little bit. A guy called Grub, Graham Carroll on the Central Coast. He's at Woi Woi. I talk to him a little bit as well. I talk to Steve Crydoff, who's a coach in, in Sydney. So I pretty much don't have one mentor. I have a few. I, I'm of the opinion that it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to learn something, you need to get around more than just one person because you're only going to learn their perspective. I mean, up until recently, I've even tried to contact Shannon Rollinson and I was hoping to go down there to try and spend a couple of days with him just to shadow him on pool deck, just to learn stuff. All paid for by myself. I wasn't going to impart any is on anyone or anything. I just thought, well, if you want to learn, then you've got to learn. Yeah. If you want to be a good coach or an Olympic coach or whatever, then you have to, you know, you want to be a lumberjack, you've got to go to the forest. It's that simple. So I don't know any of the coaches well enough to in Sydney to say, hey, look, can I come down and follow you? I know Darren Howard had offered when he was at Sydney Olympic Park to say, yeah, guys, you can come down wherever you want. So that would have been good if I could get down there, but I don't know whether I can, to be honest. After this podcast, probably not allowed, but anyway. <laughs> Look, you know, so there's there's plenty of coaches around that are willing to help other coaches. It's it's just the, the connections need to be stronger. The bonds need to be stronger. We need to actually all agree on the one page that, hey, look, how do we help each other out more? You know, what can we do instead of it, New South Wales and probably Victoria? It's just silo after silo after silo of coaches. There's no sort of interconnection. I, I wouldn't even know a coach in Victoria, you know, whereas I can name five off the top of my head that are in Queensland. Mm. You know, why don't I know these coaches? Because I haven't really looked down that way for inspiration or motivation or help. You know, there's probably plenty of coaches down that way that I could probably get help off without a problem. Like, I mean, I'm going to Coonabarabin in a couple of months to do a swim clinic for them. And that's just me going as a coach. I'm not taking an athlete with me or anything. They've approached me to come out and help them. And that night I'm actually doing a bit of a session with their parents on how to coach and what to do and how to do programs and that sort of stuff. So, brilliant. I mean, you've, you've got to, if you're going to ask for help and ask for mentorship, then you've got to be able to give it back as well. I think. Mm, and that's it. And what you learn, you can then pass on to others. I mean, that's the, the point of a good mentor that's the only way that we're going to develop and learn this stuff. And that was something that I had a big issue with because in my own confidence, I sort of thought to myself, well, I'm not an expert. You know, how can I pass on? Why are they going to listen to me while passing on this information to other people? You know, I've now realised that, yes, I take in that information. I then can pass it through and let them do with it as they do. And it is information that we need to share. We need to be able to move that down the chain to get to these parents that are coaches. And I've got a sticker actually, but it says every expert was once a beginner. Right. And that's it. Every every Olympian once went through a swim school. Yeah. Yeah. 
we, we've just got to be able to take that information and give back. And I sort of yeah. look at it and think, oh, you know, I'm not a head coach. I'm, uh, I'm just a country coach and I've only been in for seven years. But what I understand and the way I understand it, I'm able to turn it for someone else and to give them yeah. the information. They can yeah. then place in how they need in their, in their squad. It's yeah. just that bridging because I can go to these conferences. I make that time. Others can't. Exactly. And that's just it. Like these conferences, I think it's, it's great that we were actually really lucky. We were going to have our ASCA conference for New South Wales out at Orange, which is fantastic. But until it was pointed out to me by one coach who said, well, it's in the middle of Orange Wine Week. And as well as that, the New South Wales field days run out of Boronor, which is just the other side of Orange. Said so even when they announced it, all the accommodation was already gone. Yeah. So therefore, coaches would have to drive there and back and for some coaches that's just not an option like don't get me wrong all respect to swimming use whilst for picking orange a little bit more homework would have shown no oh, that we need to go a week before a week after that but not being from that regional area they don't understand that and they don't get that but hopefully next time when they do have it when it does get booked it will be at orange again hopefully and and they'll go okay well let's actually look at the timeline of when we're going to do this you know i mean i understand they've got to fit in with country championships and state championships and all sort of things well yeah i get that yeah or or better yet seeing it's been cancelled why don't you do it as a zoom weekend where mm. you get all these people that we're going to do little talks and lectures and whatever else get them on zoom for a weekend yeah and um, you know as it is head Astor is coming up with their online virtual conference as well and a lot mm. of other places have so mm. yeah there's opportunities there yeah, there is. It's like I said, the tyranny of distance doesn't exist. Yeah. So, has there been a big highlight in your journey so far, or has there been a few little ones that have stood out? A few little ones happened the other week. I had Taylor McEwen in the car. We'd just gone and had breakfast before we'd head up to Orange. Had a bit of a fanboy moment, I suppose. <laughs> I thought, because she was on the phone, I didn't really realize who she was on the phone to. And I'm sitting there and it sort of clicks. And I go, holy hell, I'm sitting in my car in the Bathurst Shopping Centre car park. I've got an Olympic athlete sitting next to me who's on the phone to her sister who's about to get on the plane to go to Tokyo. Wow. I'm like, that is so cool. <laughs> like, that was mind-blowing. I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. <laughs> so so I, I had a little bit of a bit of a fanboy moment had a drink of water, composed myself and right. Okay, let's go. We're, we're, that's right. We're going to orange. So, <laughs> but I mean, that was, it was really a quite a sort of surreal, sort of interesting moment. I've been lucky to be wise. My mum actually organized a clinic for Bathurst many, many years ago where we had Tracy Wickham come to Bathurst and do a clinic there. And, and that was over 200 kids in the space of 24 hours. And I went to that and I met Tracy Wickham when I was younger. That was a good highlight. Meeting Bill Sweetenham up in Queensland, that was awesome. I love that. For me, it's, it's a highlight when any of these well-known swimmers actually talk to me on Facebook or Instagram because I'm always on there. I'll send them a message, say, Michael Klim's birthday on Friday. I send a message, happy birthday, mate. My daughter, for some reason, I don't know why, is a huge Michael Klim fan. So I videoed her, and a, friend, yeah, I videoed her and a friend saying, oh, happy, happy birthday, Michael sent it to him. He said, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Like the fact that he actually replied was like, for me, oh, cool. Clemmy spoke back. That's, you know, you know, the fact that Brett Hawke will, will reply to my text messages and stuff. Like 
all those are sort of a highlights for me. That's sort of not lost on yep. on me in any way. Like I think it's it's a lot of little things that I sort of think, oh, that was so cool. I'll say to Leanne, my wife, oh, you know, Grant Hackett replied back to something about that I said, or James Magnuson agreed with a comment or gave a like on, oh, a big one. I posted something on Instagram and Bob Bowman liked it. Oh, that's cool. all. Just got the heart. Just got the heart of Bob Bowman. And that I was on cloud nine for days. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Like a, a coach of his caliber and his standing and, and coached the greatest swimmer of all time actually liked what I had to say. That's awesome. You know, like yeah. I'm pretty simple when it comes to sort of being inspired and motivated. So But I think also in that regards, it's the knowing that what you've done is correct what you've said is correct that others yeah. are following it you're not just spewing out information going oh am I right am I wrong like the verify that you are right and that they have the same thought or same opinion as you I think that just gives you that hope that I can't or that knowledge I'm doing it right yeah that's right I think it's it's not much for them to say oh yeah well done or it's not much for them to like, give you a like or something on a post but yeah, it's that validation of yes, I'm on the right track here. I'm 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 thinking the right things. I'm talking about the right things. Awesome, that's really cool, you know. So, and I think also for the fact that you know what you're doing and how you're trying to advance the you know the parent coach or the local kids, having that comment or that like or it just gives you that inspiration to can you continue doing it. It's not yeah. like you're trying to better yourself and make yourself look better. That's right. It gives you that little bit more confidence of going, oh, okay, all right, cool. Well, if I said it once then and I got confidence out of it, then you can't say it again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. These next two questions I think are going to be big ones, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> <laughs> For you, what advice would you give to a new swimmer, coach, teacher coming out into the industry? easy that little thing you're holding on to right now listening to this podcast it is the best weapon you will have to help you be the best coach you can be and it is the best thing a swimmer can have as well excluding water to be a better swimmer like every kid's got a phone every coach has got a phone that's all you need all the information is on that little thing that's about 10 centimeters by seven and a half centimeters wide at best you can communicate with any other coach on the planet. You can get on YouTube and look up any drill you want. You can look up any dry land information you want. You can get onto any resource in any country pretty much and find out any information you need to require. You can talk to anybody you want to talk to. Yeah, you know, same for the kids. Like kid, I say to my guys, did you message Michael for his birthday? No. Why not? Oh, I don't know. Like these kids don't realize the power of the technology they've got. Mm. Listen to podcasts um, like this one, you know, listen to Robbie Cox's podcast, listen to Brett Hawke's video podcast, Swim Swam's got one, Brenton Ford from Effortless Swimming has got one. The more you can listen to, the better you're going to be. You might, like I've, I've listened to, I only started listening to Brett Hawke's podcasts back in February and I've chewed through nearly 80% of them. Wow. And he's got 150 of them, at least, 160 or something now. You know, each one goes for about an hour each. So because I drive to where I coach now currently, mm. I can listen to one and a half a day pretty much. So, like, I mean, okay, if you're only driving down the shops, put the podcast on. You might get something out of that five minutes. 
that you didn't get before or was overlooked, you know, look up stuff on YouTube. I know Bob Bowman's got a couple of lectures on YouTube about coaching Michael Phelps and, you know, how to coach champions and, and all that sort of stuff. Research your mentors. If you're going to have someone as a mentor, they don't need to know, basically. Mm. Like, without even knowing Bob Bowman is a mentor of mine, because I, I constantly go through YouTube and podcasts and find stuff specifically from him. Yeah. You know, he doesn't even know that I'm a huge fan or, or that I'm a mentor, but that's fine. He doesn't need to. I can still learn stuff off him. If you're a swimmer I, I really and you're a freestyler, I really recommend looking up Ian Thorpe's video of him just swimming in a black suit. It has a slow-mo. It does side view, top view, front view. And it really highlights why his technique was so good. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are missing that. And that's the future of swimming. Like his, his stroke was so long and so precise and he used his catch so well. I think a lot of people miss that, that video and, and don't see it. So that's, you know, that's that one. Mm. Um, I am very particular with butterfly. I, I can't think of the, the video in at the minute, but there's a right and a wrong way to do butterfly, I think. And this part where kids are slamming their arms into the water is definitely the wrong way. But anyway, that's another rant. Um, <laughs> but yeah, use the technology you've got. You know, don't be afraid to ring up someone or send them a message. Hey, look, have you got time for a 15 minute video chat with me about X, Y, Z? Yeah. You know, or have you got, or annoy the big coaches? Well, not annoy, but approach the big coaches. Email Michael Boll. It's like send Richard Scarce a video, a message on Instagram. You know, send Rowan, Rowan Taylor a message on Facebook and say, hey, Rowan, have you got five minutes for me? You know, he might not or he might. You just don't know. Like, don't be afraid of the answer being no. Mm. I mean, he says no, so what? Yeah. What What happens then? Nothing. You put the phone down, you go and do whatever you're going to do next. Mm. You know, you come back later on, hi, Rowan, have you got five minutes for me? No? Okay. Go and do whatever you're going to do tomorrow. Hi, Rowan, have you got five minutes for me? You know, that's... <laughs> I have a local pool here that I'm trying to get to use and they have said to me, stop persisting. We're not interested in hiring out our facility to you. So my reply back was persistence is one of my better qualities. I'll speak to you when it comes up towards this for the school holidays. I'll see if I can hire and have school holidays. Yeah. I, I just don't know for an answer. Sorry. <laughs> you know. I like that. My, um... my wife. My wife will attest to that. When I proposed, I got down on one knee and said, I'm not standing up to say yes. <laughs> so, you know. That's brilliant. I like it. It's been yeah. there for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, you know. And uh, trust me, it annoys the hell out of people. They'll either hate you or they'll just go, oh, God, yes, okay, fine. You can have this or you can have that, you know. Yeah. It's it's just a matter of proving to people that you're, you're for real about what you want and what you want to do and that you're, you're dead a long time, basically. Yeah. You know, and I, I think someone is ever going to say is no. That's exactly it. If people have fear of failure, fear of being told no, but, you know, you just move on to the next one. But like you said, it's it's just about doing it and, you know, taking that time and giving it a go. Take the opportunity, take the chance, because what happens if they do say yes? And I know, like you said, a mentor that they <laughs> don't even know who yeah, yeah, yeah. mentor. I was like that yeah. with Ian Pope. And when I got Ian Pope yeah. for the podcast and I emailed him and within 10 minutes, he'd emailed back and said, yeah, I can do the podcast. And I said, oh, fantastic. When would you like to do it? He said, you free now. Yeah. 
And it blew my mind. And I was there trying not to have a hysteric moment where I'm like, oh my God, I've got AO Pope. Yep. I I approached Elka Graham. She's now Elka Whalen. And said, hey, look, I've got this idea for a swim clinic. I'm not going to say too much about it right now, but it's it's in it's sort of in the pipeline. And anyway, about I don't know, 24 hours later, she rang me. I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the phone, going, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, Elk, Elka's Elka's re- what? Oh, yeah." And I missed the call because I was too busy freaking out that I had to call her back. You know, so it's like holy crap. You know, because there are there are people out there that want to help. There are coaches out there that want to help you, and inherently believe that every coach in every position throughout Swimming Australia and Swimming New South Wales, Swimming Victoria, every swimming state, they all inherently want to help. They all really want to help to make things better and prop to them for that. Like that's that's great. But sometimes that vision gets blurred and tied up in red tape and bureaucracy, unfortunately, and they lose sight of that vision because they can't see the forest from the trees anymore. Yeah, and we get in so, our own little worlds as well and you know what we're doing and oh we don't have time and we're always busy Uh, it's one thing I know from being in a uh the president of the club here you you ask someone to do something and everyone's always saying I can't do that because I'm busy and I can't do that I'm busy well everyone's busy yeah exactly yeah Arnold Schwarzenegger has the great saying everyone says they don't have enough time make the time Mm. he went on to say that there's 24 hours in one day okay got a do work there's eight hours of the day you know so you're down to whatever spend time with your family there's two hours there's 10 so you got 12 hours left in the day left you know you got to exercise every day so there's maybe an hour hour and a half out of every day you know so there's about eight and nine hours left you got to eat that takes up an hour so you're down to eight hours so you got to sleep and and most people say oh but i've got to sleep for eight hours and you go no 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 no, no. just sleep for six you just need to sleep faster you know? <laughs> but that's just it if you want to develop, if you want to grow, then you've got to put yourself under pressure. Mm. That's how, like, we, we get our swimmers to get under pressure all the time. That's how they develop and get better. So us as coaches and us as people in the swimming industry, we need to put ourselves under our own pressure to grow and develop. You need to find the time. You need to sit down and make time. Also manage a gym. And the amount of times I've heard people say, oh, I don't have time to exercise. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You don't need like get up half an hour earlier, go for a walk. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Or, or stay up half an hour later and go for, oh, but it's cold, buy a jacket. Yeah. You know, oh, but, 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 but it's like there's, there are only excuses in your own mind. Really, you don't have an excuse. It's just, you know, you just don't want to do it. You don't want to put the effort in. You don't want to go and buy a beanie to put on your head so you don't freeze your ears off when you're going for a walk at 5 30 in the morning. Yeah. You make those you know? decisions. You make yeah, those decisions. Yeah, you do on a daily basis. On a daily basis. And, if you want to be a better coach, then sit down for half an hour and read a book yeah. on coach. It doesn't have to be swimming. You know, there's so many other books out there that, that can inspire you that's not just unless it's about swimming. Like a great book, a really, really good book that I'd inspire anybody to read is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't know who David Goggins is, he's one of the most extreme athletes in the world or extreme people in the world, to be honest. Ex-Navy SEAL. He went through Buds, which is a nightmare course for the Navy SEALs. He went to that three times, the last time with both shin fractures. And the guy just woke up one day, looked in the mirror and said, I don't like this anymore. 
yeah, he was beat up as a kid by his father. Sorry, his mother was abused by his father as well. Like he had it tough. He really did have it tough. And his book is awesome. It just, the way he talks about things, he can be quite confronting and quite polarizing and there is a bit of language, but it's well worth the read. It really is like, he's, yeah, he says it how it is and he's just, and that's just the way it is. If you don't like it, that's okay. Yeah. Just don't complain. Yeah. So. The other one I've started to listen to as well um, is Life is Short. I do a lot of audio books. So okay. Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. And it's by, I'm just looking at it now on my phone, sorry, uh, Valerie Kudos-Field. So she's the ex-coach for UCL Gymnastics in America. Okay, yeah. And her book is absolutely amazing. I've actually ordered another uh, three print copies so I can give it to the swim teachers that work for me. Yeah, um, cool. because just the amount of depth she goes into and she talks about what's happening with the sexual abuse claims that have gone through mm. gymnasts in America. And yeah, how, I watched that uh, documentary, Athlete A, yeah. Yeah, yep, how to deal with it and how the kids have dealt with it and her perspective on coaching and things like that coming from you know a non-gymnast. She was a, a ballet dancer coming in and becoming the head coach of a a gymnast squad who have had so much success. So like you said, just looking out of the area, out of the industry, but taking those opportunities. I now going to the supermarket a lot of the time, I try and go when the kids aren't home because then I can, it's half an hour there, half an hour back. I can listen to my podcast in the car instead of having to listen to the kids' songs. Plug of that. I buy a set of headphones for the kids each, plug them into the phone, and you listen to whatever you want. I do it with my daughter. Um, every now and then I'll have to listen to Taylor Swift or whatever, but I'll just say, you got your headphones? Yeah. yeah. Put your headphones on. I'm going to listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. And putting them down at night, lying next to them as they fall asleep. I watch something on YouTube. Like there's so many opportunities you can do this stuff. It yep. is just about finding those few minutes that you can listen. Audio books. I mean, that's where I've got the knowledge for a lot of my stuff is just taking those opportunities. Yeah. But, um, you know, Simon Sinek has got a lot of great books, um, Start yes. With Buy and, you know, What Leaders Eat Last and all that sort of stuff. And like it or not, if you're a swim coach, you're, you are a leader and, and they're really good books to listen to. How to, uh, how to Win Friends and, and Influence People is a good one. It's, it's quite a long one. Yeah, David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. The Spartan Way, that's pretty good as well. That was all about the guy that's created the Spartan Races. Yep. There's a ton of book out there you can draw from. Michael Phelps's first book, it was really, really good, actually, especially from Bob Bowman's perspective. It was really, really good. Yeah. You can draw inspiration from anywhere and you can get help from anywhere. It's just a matter of looking and, and not being afraid to ask and not being afraid to be persistent, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so. that's it. Very well said. So for you, what does swimming look like into the future? For me personally or for the industry? We'll go both because I think it could be interesting. <laughs> You're biting me, aren't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, look, I, I ideally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there because, you know, if you're going to make big, bold claims, you might as well claim all of it. <laughs> I actually want to have a hub within New South Wales that rivals Queensland. I, I would love to personally be able to help out to assist New South Wales to have at least 50% to 40% of the swimmers on the Olympic team for 
uh, Brisbane to be out of New South Wales or Victoria. I, I think I would love, not that I've got anything against Queensland other than them you know, playing us in the state of origin. I would love us to see the, all the other states step up and you know not have this huge exodus to go to Queensland all the time for every swimmer. I would love us to be able to develop our own coaches. I would love to help in some way. I would love to produce an Olympic athlete or two or three. That'd be wonderful. But I'd love to be able to help at, at minimum to try and help get two or three athletes onto an Olympic squad. I'm, what, 44 this year, so I've still got a few years left. But it's going to be pushing everything uphill to do it in regional New South Wales. But I'm lucky, well, sort of. My wife is born and bred here. I'm born and bred here. My daughter doesn't want to move, and she's seven. Uh, look, if someone offers me the right position, I would move. But I've still got a lot of do I want to do in regional New South Wales. Like I, I want to actually have a learn to swim school in Bathurst because I think there's still a lot of people that aren't doing that right. There's a lot of questions I have for learn to swim. You know, I'd love to have another pool in Bathurst. Currently, we have about five pools in Bathurst. Most of those pools are controlled by two bodies, so therefore, other access is highly limited. I would love to help my region become bigger and stronger. I'd love to get more kids from our area onto state and national teams. So whatever I can do to help out that, yeah, pretty much try and just be the lightning rod for something to happen more or less. And and like I said before, if, if I can shake the cage and be the catalyst for upsetting people to actually change, great. You scream loud enough and hard enough, someone's going to answer the door. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's it. Even if it's going to be the neighbour that comes up and tells you to shut up, it's still you're going to get the attention of somebody. So <laughs> you but, might as well give it a go and see who you find on the way. Yeah, exactly. But as far as swimming in Australia goes, I think in the next ten years it will gain tremendous traction. I think swimming will build up in a big way close we get to Brisbane. I really believe that more kids will start swimming. Mm-hmm. in the next 10 years but on the downside of that i think the facilities will lag so as in we won't be able to keep up with demand i think that regional new south wales will be left behind as far as and so will all regional areas when it comes to swimming they won't be given the same opportunities as as other areas now people are going to turn and say oh yes but no it's on the website you know we have the opportunities yeah you do but Regional New South Wales and regional Victoria and regional Queensland, well, maybe not Queensland, but regional South Australia don't have the water. It's that simple. They just don't. Like Bathurst, there is no indoor 50-metre pool this side of the mountains apart from Canberra. Yeah. So what's that telling you? Mm. It just isn't. You know, we have plenty of 25 indoor pools, but and that's great. That's water's water, basically, but... It just doesn't have the development that metropolitan areas have. Like, you know, Canberra's got four or five indoors, indoor 50s, not just 25s, but 50s. And in the space of Canberra, it's ridiculous. Like, I think regional New South Wales needs a very big boost in the arm. I think that the opportunity is there for Swimming Australia to strike up relationships with swimming from other countries and say, hey, look, well, you know what? Prime example. USA Swimming, 
why can't Swimming Australia approach them and say, hey, look, so you can get climatised and so you can have a training facility in Australia, why don't you chip in to this initiative happening where we're going to cover a 50-metre outdoor pool in regional Australia? Mm-hmm. Or swimming in England, whatever their governing body, build a relationship with them say, hey, look, you know, if you chip in $5 million, our Australian government will chip in $5 million. Um, the state government will throw in, you know, another $3 million. All of a sudden, you've got $13 million to cover in a 50-metre outdoor pool in a regional area. And yeah. then that team can exclusively fly in to that area, get the pool when they want it, how they want it, do whatever, up until the Olympics. And because, I mean, they're going to do it for athletics. So why can't we do it for swimming? Why can't we build these relationships to help mm. further our own our own advantage? Yeah. So. And I think also, I mean, one thing Rowan Taylor said, and I noticed on one of the things that Dean Boxall said on one of the swimming Australia videos, he's like, we knew it was going to be hard to get pool space in Tokyo. Yeah. You know, it's going to be like that when the Olympics come to be, you know, and Australia is going to have those uh, first opportunities and the first goes at the pools. But, you know, those opportunities are going to be out there to build those relationships for them to come over and get acclimatised, but, you know, to get used to the area. And on the other hand here, you know, we're, a bit, we're the same in regional Victoria where I am. The closest outdoor pool is an hour away for mm. me. And then there's another four hours up to Muldura. So there's a big wide gap in the middle of Victoria that goes across the middle of Victoria where it's between four to five hours for people in that area to get to an indoor pool. Mm. Yeah. Whether like, that's, you know, a 25 or a 50. So this, And, yes, I understand. I mean, I've spoken about this with my husband a number of times that the population is not there. So, and pools don't run at, pools run at a loss. Yes. So. So unfortunately, you know, yeah, that's not there. But it is, you know, we only have pools for four months of the year. I went to Queensland for a holiday, speaking to a lady there that runs the Rockhampton pool, and they have it for a number of more months than what we do. It's such a shame that we just don't have those opportunities to be able to get into the water as much, and it flows through. Here's the thing. When, when people say pools run at a loss, here's something to keep in mind, and, and I don't know the figures behind it. Lightning Ridge have a nine-lane, 50-metre outdoor pool. Yep. They have a water park with a wave generator. They have slippery slides. They have an indoor, 25-metre, eight-lane diving pool yep. with three one-metre springboards, two three-metre springboards, one-metre, three-metre, five-metre, ten-metre platform. Wow. Spa sauna, indoor rock climbing wall, gym, indoors, basketball court, indoors, facilities for cooking and administration, all indoors in the one complex. Now, this is a population of 2,500 people, and they're running it all year round. So I don't understand, like, if, if you're an Australian head swim coach and you're not running a clinic or you're not running a development camp, at Lightning Ridge and flying in your athletes for a pre-training session at Lightning Ridge. Like the weather's fine. The weather, like it's the same weather as it is in Queensland. Yeah. So it's got its own airstrip. 
you can fly in, you can drive in, whatever, you know, flying is probably going to be cheapest. But they have literally got the facilities for any water polo team, any dive team globally, they have got their facilities are second to SOPAC. The only thing they don't have is the grandstand seating. They've got everything else. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and that's and that's the thing. This it's literally in the middle of nowhere. Like it's eight hours from Sydney, it's eight hours from Brisbane. They've got kids there that want to swim. Half the kids in their environment are a low socioeconomic area. So it's why that area isn't a big swimming community is just beyond me. They just yeah. they're screaming for help. They've got all the facilities. If they were another thirty kilometer or whatever it is, forty kilometers up the road in Queensland, they would have the biggest swim culture and they would have Olympic athletes coming out of that place left, right, and center. Yep. That simple. Yeah. All these other towns around areas that say, oh well, we can't afford it, you know, it's too expensive. Lightning Ridge built it themselves and they still run it and maintain them themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, the council contributes, but they still do it. And it's like the indoor pool is heated. Yeah. It and it's not artesian takes, water. <laughs> yeah. It just takes those people to be able to do it and yeah, want to do it. Does. And, yeah. and it, takes, it takes vision, it takes determination, and it takes a community to stand up and go, no, this, this is what we want. The Kabon Council is now doing a view of all the smaller pools in the Kabon area, which is the other side of Orange, and that encompasses about five different, six different pools. You know, so these pools are maintained and run by members of the community. Mm -hmm. The coaches are swim parents. You know, they might have their towards competitive strokes, but they do it because the kids love it. Yeah. And that's just it. These communities want their kids to do well, but they're just not getting support required. So yeah, we we just need to change the culture. Yeah, in in our areas, you know, I remember one of the first ASCA conferences says a high level coach got on and said, "Well, if we're going to do this, everyone's got to be on the bus. Otherwise, the bus is going to go the right way." And I remember thinking, "Buddy, I'm on the bus, but no one's driving it." <laughs> This bus. I like, that. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I agree. Everyone. Everyone needs to be on the bus. But if, if the bus is going backwards in reverse, or, or it's stalled, or it's out of petrol, it doesn't matter how many people are on the bus. It's not going to go anywhere. Mm. Yep. And you could inspire us all to get on, but if yeah, there's no one running it at the start and driving it, where are we going? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, I would love for. Swimming Australia or Swimming New South Wales or Victoria or whoever to take up and go, yeah, you know what, we're going to get the athletes to do dry land sessions. Yeah, you know what, we're going to get our athletes to go and do clinics in regional areas. Great. Do me out of a job, please. Yeah, I'm sure your wife would be pleased if that happened. Oh, look, <laughs> I, I have another job, so it's fine. I'll still coach in another town. That's okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm happy to fall on the sword for them to actually pick up and do this stuff. Like literally, please, guys, if you're watching, put me out of a job. Do it, please. Happy for you too. Yeah. Problem at all. So, <laughs> but till that happens, you know, I'll just keep trying to run the next clinic in the next town and you know, trying to inspire and motivate these kids myself. Mm. 
So on that point, and I think we've already discussed it a lot of during this session, but mm. how can we as an individual and an industry promote and develop learn to swim and the competitive swimming to encourage more participants? But, you know, funding can be a part of that and can be a barrier. How how could do you think we can do all that with the less funding? Um, I think that there's room for both. When I say that, there's room for the fun side of swimming and there's room for the more competitive side. I think clubs have to be more having initiative as to how they build that. A lot of the time I look at the coaches and go, oh, but, you know, you're not making it fun. It's like the coaches aren't there to, well, the coaches are kind of there to make it fun, but the fun is in the reward when you get to a certain point. The fun, and the fun is actually coming training and training hard with your friends and knowing as a group that you'll all do better together. That's the fun when you, when you start to get to a certain point. I mean, not every club's going to be able to do a social sizzle as a Bunnings. I think clubs need to approach local butcher shops and have um, meat raffles every Friday as well. I think that clubs can have a 24-hour swimathon outdoors in summer in particular. The kids would love it. Camp overnight in the pool grounds. You wake kids up at 2 in the morning, cranky, grumpy, throw them in the pool. Righto, guys, you've got to do your laps. And do it for a cause, not just for the club. Say, so, okay, we're going to give 40% to Can Assist stuff like that have celebrity races at their local pool so you know approach local celebrities and business owners to come and race nine times out of ten they're going to say no but you might get the one i'll say yes yeah ask local communities say hey look you know we are having this swimathon we're we're donating 35 percent to this charity can you please help sponsor this event you know don't be afraid of no Help, help your coaches and help your high-performing swimmers to make it cheaper. If you are in a regional club that that is cashed up and lucky to cash up, subsidise your fees for your clubs because it costs a hundred or something dollars or whatever it costs to join a swimming club. Pay X amount of money to Swimming Australia, X amount of money to Swimming New South Wales, and X amount to the club. Turn around and say, you know, we're going to subsidise for even even coming up into summer, going November. All right. All new swimmers that haven't swam before, we're going to subsidise their Swimming Australia membership or their club membership by 70%. Yep. Things like that to try and get the new members in. Do stuff in winter. Even though the club's not operating, do stuff in winter. Do a trivia night in winter so the kids are still catching up with each other. Yeah. You know, Or do a dry land Saturday or organise a bus trip in the middle of winter to go down to Canberra and, and hire a couple of lanes for a training weekend. You know, yeah, I get that can be expensive. I understand that. Or, you know, go to a metropolitan area. But again, find a sponsor. Get some t- cheap T-shirts printed with the sponsor's logo on them and say, here's what you're going to get, X, Y, Z. We're going to go down to this area and go from there. Mm-hmm. Thinking outside the box. Have a fun night every now and then for, for the whole community. You know, invite, have a come and try night. So instead of just having a club night once a week, once a month, have a come and try night where, new kids can come and try out or or bring a friend night. So, you know, every club member has to bring a friend that doesn't swim and get them doing sort of friend relays. And I think relays are a big way to sort of encourage and grow engagement. You know, approach other clubs in your area and say, hey, would you like to have a relay comp night? Stuff like that and say, okay, well, look, here's what we're going to do. It's going to be a three relays. We're going to have an IM relay, freestyle relay and a mixed relay. It doesn't take up the entire night. You know, you can get four or five races out of it over and done with pretty fast. You can have multiple teams from multiple clubs 
not just one team from one club, you know, because if you've got a six-lane pool, yeah, go from there. Mm. Think big. Think bigger. Yeah. You know, run a clinic. Do me out of a job as well. Ring up and say, hey, look, oh, look, Kate, you know, would you mind coming out to our, our club and doing a clinic and and saying to, the, saying to them, yeah, okay, yeah. And, you know, James Magnuson used to do it. He used to charge about three grand. Uh, instead of the club paying for all of it, you know, get a sponsor in to pay for the $3,000. And then it's it's free, yeah. And then you've got him for an hour and a half, two hours, inspiring and motivating your kids as well as swimming alongside them. Yeah, you know, there's a ton of stuff you can do. Team up with a local football club and say, "Hey guys, do you want to come down? We'll do a swimming session with you guys you know, over summer, just before you start training. You can come down and do preseason training in the pool. We'll put you through a swimming program for a month before you start your game starts." if you guys can return the favour for our junior swimmers to come and do some dry land training with you guys over winter, you yeah, know, engage point. with it. Doesn't, it just doesn't have to be swimming, you know, it can be other sports, you know. I've heard, I've heard a lot of parents say that, oh, we go to a lot of carnivals because our kids like to swim. It's like your kids like to do anything. It's not, you go to the carnivals because you want to catch up with your friends and you want to yeah. sit around for the day while your kids are taken care of swimming up and down a pool so you can kick back with your friends and talk to your friends all day. Yeah. So instead of going to a carnival, take the kids to a flip out or to a trampoline spot or to somewhere fun. You know, do a camping weekend for the whole club. There's, there's plenty of different things. That's just off the top of my head. So, <laughs> you know, there's plenty of things you can do. Have an obstacle relay in the pool, like get some learn to swim things and, and put them between the lanes and over the lanes and under lanes where the kids have got to swim backwards and dive under and jump over and all that sort of stuff within the pool. Like you can have a video night go and buy a cheap projector and put a sheet up on a lot on a line somewhere and kids can float around and watch finding Nemo or, yeah. or something float around in the pool and at seven, eight o'clock at night, you know, stuff like that you can do. There's plenty of things you can sort of do to help raise revenue to put back into clubs. Look for grants. I've had a lot of people say that. Oh yeah, you, know, you gotta get you gotta get grant, but I can never find grants for some reason. I just but uh anyway, Yeah, not- and I, I the same I gave up looking for them and I gave up applying for them because you put that time into it and you weren't getting anything from it. You sort of start planning for it. I didn't feel I was writing it well enough. It just, and then you took that long searching for it and applying for it and you'd look it up and then, oh, no, sorry, you don't qualify for it for some yeah. reason. Yeah, it takes you three hours to find it and then if you do get it, you only get 500 bucks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, not, not meaning to sound ungrateful, but it's a lot. It's, grants are a lot of effort and so... But, I mean, if you've got an IGA in town, they're always saying they want to give back to the community, hit them up. Bendigo Bank say they're always part of the community, hit them up. All those other sorts of industry, you know, car yards, real estate agents. If you see a company that says, oh, yeah, we're here to support the community, go and see them and say, hey, we're part of the community, support us. Yeah. Get them to put their money where their mouth is. And it's just getting that confident person to be able to go up and, and ask, and yeah, if you get a no, you get a no. You can try them again later and go see someone else. Yeah, exactly. Like, just don't take no for an answer. Regional clubs and regional New South Wales, if unfortunately, if we want it to happen, we've got to make it happen ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. I think we've got to take the bull by the horns ourselves and, you know, give it a go. And then I think it also, if we do that, it shows what works. And then, Hopefully, the powers that be are watching it and go, okay, that does work. They're getting more engagement. Well, 
maybe we can start doing something. Yep. On your committees, make sure you have people on there that are actively wanting to do something. Make a rule for the committee that everybody on the committee has to do something. And if, if someone turns around and says, oh, well, actually, you know what? Um, I'm a technical official, so I officiate at carnivals. That's what I'm going to contribute. No, sorry. You're going to do that anyway. That doesn't help you on the committee. Yeah. Don't carry dead wood on a committee. There's no point. Say to people, well, look, we have our technical official who wants to do these Zoom webinars or he wants to do whatever. You go help him. If you don't want to help him, that's fine. We'll accept your resignation. See you later. Yeah. Because like we said before, everyone's busy. If you're not busy, don't stand up for the committee. Yeah. I don't mean to sound rude or annoying about it or, or bitter. If you don't have time, don't do it mm. because you, you're only going to half-ass it and you're only going to let other people down the committee that are expecting you to have time and it's just not going to work. You're going to do more harm than good, basically. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people out there say oh but but we're struggling for people and you know it's maybe you're struggling for people because the people that are already on there have been there too long that's why yeah. people aren't stepping up you haven't got the right people on the committee to start with and that's why no one else is putting their hand up yeah that's a big thing for a lot of committees a lot of people just oh, i don't like that bloke so i'm not going on the committee mm. yeah. the other side of the coin is that swallow your pride you're not there to form a personal relationship with this person you're there to be on the committee and to do a job and to help some of your area get better yeah and I think also, I mean, one thing I find hard is we've done it that way. We've done that. It doesn't work. That, and usually we've done that 15 years ago and it didn't work then. So, well, hang yeah. on a second. That was 15 years ago. Yeah. And, yeah. oh, that's not how it's done. Well, you know, what? it's a new age. Why can't we try something new? But exactly. people look at it and say, okay, we're getting this pushback and, you know, they already bitch and moan about stuff. Why do we want to get involved in that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's just really weird. It's just really odd. I think that you know we go, oh well, yeah, I want to help, but but what? But, what do you mean? Yeah. You either you want to help or you don't. Yeah. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Don't go. Oh, but I've got this. I'd love to. Yeah, that I have to laugh. I'll. I'll you know, people will say, oh, I'd love to help. It'd be so good to help. You know, but I, I just don't have time. Like really. Yeah. So why to help? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why, even, why even start with that sentence? If you know you don't have time, don't even tease me with it. Don't even dangle the carrot in front of me. Just say, I don't have time. Uh, yeah. yeah. Don't try and code it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know you're doing a great thing. I think it's fantastic. And of course, I don't have time to help. That, and you just say that. That's fine. That's all they need to say. And then you go, okay, great. Well, in that case, when you do have time, please let me know. We'd love for you to give us a hand. Yeah, that's right. Everyone's yep. still friends. Everything's going well. And then, you know, later on down the track, you say, look, no, you really don't have time. But if you could just help out with this one small thing and make sure it is a small thing, not something that you says is a small thing, you're going to blow up into something really big for them. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, yeah, okay. And then that'll, they'll go, yeah, okay, well, I helped. Great, fantastic. You know, it's- yeah, it's a lot easier than I thought. But also I think, yeah, committees have got this big, huge thing now that if you join a committee, oh, my God, you have to do everything and you have to do these amazing big roles. But a lot of people don't understand what goes into these roles. And, okay, you can, you know, maybe a couple of emails a week or um, what does that role entail? Well, we should be letting people know what they'll have to do if they join. Yeah, I mean, I think Swimming New South Wales has got it on their website, the 
outline of committee members. Yeah. Um, they're either going to be swimming New South Wales or swimming Victoria. They've got it. I only just looked at these pages the other day. So I think it might be swimming Victoria and it's got an outline of what each role is entailed. Yeah. But that should be done and read out at every, every AGM before people stick their hand up. Yeah. But I mean, there's a few people on our committee that actually help out and step up and do whatever. Like, like I said, I'm, I'm president of Mountains and Plains in, in New South Wales. And I've said to my committee, okay, I want to talk to all the other committees of the clubs around the area and find out what we can do to help them get better and improve. So I've asked our secretary to send an email to that effect and got a donut back. Oh, wow. So now I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to go to AGMs. Yep. I'm going to go to committee meetings. Or I'm going to ring up these people and say, hey, just wondering, I'm Steve, I'm the president of this. What can we do to help you? Yep. Because unless I know what the area wants and what the area is thinking and what the area needs, what's the point in having a committee if we don't know what we're doing, if we don't know what our area wants? And let's face it, you're only going to get committee members from two or three of the clubs. You're not going to get them from all the clubs in the area. Like we're not going to have somebody from, you know, Lake Kajelago signing up to be on the committee when they only swim for three months, four months of the year at best, and they've got to travel five hours to come to a community meeting. Yeah. yeah. Just not happen. <laughs> Yeah, so I think if you're a president of a committee, whether it's a regional or your own, ask what the club wants. Go and talk to parents and say, hey, look, just quietly, what do you think of the club so far? And you're going to get your sycophants that are just going to be absolute ass kisses. Mm. Every now and then you're going to get that one person who's going, you know what, it'd be really good if we could do this. Yeah. Or it'd be really great if we can try that, you know, which might be, you know, you've just got to keep digging for that little bit of, diamond in the rough so to speak yeah that's right yep and take the time to listen yeah, yeah. Like if someone does give you advice actually listen and yeah. workshop with them to, to show that you're listening so they might say oh you know what steve we'd love to do a 24-hour swimathon instead of just going oh yeah no that'd be great and then flipping it off actually think about it go okay next day you know what i was thinking about your idea and we could do xyz or we can't do X, Y, Z because of ABC. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to people and explain. They might turn around and say, well, what if you do this, this and this? And that could fix your problem for you. Mm. I think inherently people want to help. You've just got to guide them on how to help. Yeah. That makes sense. Like all coaches want to help and our governing bodies want to help, but I think we need to guide them how to help us better. Yeah. And that, that's probably the thing that I'm, that's the take home message from me is, yeah, our governing bodies want to help us, but they don't know how to help us. We need to educate them on what we need and how they can help us. Yeah. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, then if they don't listen, then we can whinge, bitch, and moan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We've given them every opportunity we can. We've yeah. given it yeah, to them in a platter. We've told them how to drive the bus. We've given them that lesson. It, it, it's then up to work with it. And if they don't, yeah. then, yeah, there we are. Get off, get off the bus. We'll drive it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that could be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on. It's been absolutely amazing. And from a regional perspective myself, to speak to someone like-minded who wants to develop regional and look forward to 2032 in um, the Olympics and the Gold Coast, it's fantastic to share what we can do and inspire those in our areas to be able to push forward. 
good luck with everything you do. On one hand, I think it's amazing what you do. On the other hand, I think it would be fantastic if you were put out of a job because it means that it was <laughs> being done. <laughs> it, it would mean that people are doing what needs to be done, done. basically. Yeah. But I think it's fantastic what you do. And hopefully people can get behind you and give you those opportunities to excel and, like we said, drive the bus and show what needs to be done in regional areas. So fantastic and keep up the great work. No worries. And with respect to, like, all the senior managers within all the organisations related to swimming, I don't have an axe to grind with them as individuals. I think that they're doing the best that they can under the circumstances that they're in. I just think they need to change things up a bit and really try and listen to the areas more and, and look at new ways to help develop and grow the areas. But no, this has been great. I loved it. This is awesome. Brilliant. Thank you. And Paris. is there any other, your clinics and things like that, is there any ones that you wanted to talk about that are up and coming that we can yeah. share with the audience? Yeah. So we've got, we're looking at doing uh, Wagga when it gets a bit warmer. So probably in late October, early November, provided COVID is out of the way. We're also looking at going to Armadale and then we'll probably go out to Dubbo and we'll see how the rest of the year goes from there. Uh, Newcastle is also on the cards. Pretty much we're going to try and get around every part of New South Wales and then once we're confident with that, then we're going to go into state. We, we really want to, when I say we, pretty much myself, <laughs> um, I, I really want to, I, I want to see these things running all year round. So the idea would be to target regional areas in summer and then uh, metropolitan areas in winter. The, yeah. the plan is to have one a month for the next 12 months. Good work. And if we can do more, great. If you've got a community or an area that wants to have an Olympic athlete come to your area or your region, please shout out, let me know, and I'll see what I can do to organise it. it. It can be tricky because we need a certain population density for it to happen, but I'm sure we can work something out to try and make that happen. So, yeah. Yep. Good work. It's a dream I always had for country Victoria. Unfortunately, it was never able to do things with funding and stuff like that. So it's amazing to see it happening and then your dream to expand it as well. So thank you for doing that work and putting it out there and helping the industry in regional areas. Not a problem at all.